You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. So let's dive into the word. We ready? Let's dive into it. Last week we went a little long and I didn't realize it. I looked up and we had gone like a whole hour and that will not happen this morning. So I apologize for that. But um, let's dive into part four of our... Sorry, Dad. Uh-huh. Let's dive into part four of our series that we're doing, Five Offerings. Um, and like I said last week, I'll say this, that, you know, it's one of those things where you meditate on something more and more. And that's the fun part about doing a series is that the more you meditate, the more you find, the more you see. So uh, I don't know. I'm really excited. I've been really blessed just studying it for myself and being able to share it. So let's dive into it. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Leviticus chapter four. And uh, don't forget the five offerings, the reason why we're studying this at all. Keep in mind, Jesus offered one sacrifice, one offering, but it takes five to depict the one that he did. So going in order, again, just reminding everyone for the sake of memory. The first one was the burnt offering. The second one was the peace offering. No, the grain offering. The third was the peace offering. And today we're looking at number four, which is the sin offering. Are you there? Now, we'll pick up in verse 1 to verse 12, and we're just going to read a little bit, but uh, I'll kind of paraphrase it when we get to the end. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. Now, again, one more time, I want you just to kind of capitalize on what's happening because we're not going to go back to this. In verse two, he just says this. If a person sins unintentionally, now he's going to go ahead and group the priest with just a regular everyday common person. But he goes on to say, hey, if you ever sin unintentionally. Now, let's just be honest. There's a, a strong move of, well, you know, what is sin? The church is trying to define sin. We look at what's going on in the world and we say, well, that person's sinning. And what's the problem with the church that I see is that we love to call out certain sins, but we don't like to call out other ones. And the problem with that is the Apostle Paul said at the end of the day, what is sin? Anything that is apart from faith. That means anything you do outside of asking God to help you. Guess what you just did? That's called sin. So it's easier for us to say, hey, look, this person's sinning because they're doing this or this person's sinning because they look like that. But at the end of the day, Paul said, guess what? We all fail, (laughs) myself included. At the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. In other words, I am the worst of the worst. But he's the apostle Paul. So it's better off to say, hey, look, we're all failures. We all failed. Instead of me pointing out what's wrong with you, let's just all find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. So we come right here. He says this. If anyone has sinned unintentionally, meaning all of us are gathered into this one. If anyone has sinned unintentionally, we come to verse three. He says this, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Now, again, it's very similar to the burnt offering and the peace offering. Bring the sacrifice, put your hand on his head, 
There's a transfer of my sin into the animal, and there's a transfer of something from the animal that comes into me. So it says this, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Now put verse seven in gold because this is really cool. In verse seven, he says this, and the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, again, it's just a lot of words. You can read this for yourself, but I want to explain why this is so cool. Every single sacrifice, the blood is sprinkled at the burnt, at the bronze altar. Every single sacrifice, blood is sprinkled here. Blood is actually never taken into the, uh, the inner courts or the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, I apologize, I should have had a picture for you to see the tabernacle. But keep in mind, all the blood stays outside. The only time blood is ever taken inside where God is, is on the Day of Atonement, when they sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. But this is not that time. This time God is saying, hey, look, if you sin or a priest sins, I want you to take blood, put it on your finger, and go into where the altar of incense is. And there, I want you to put blood on the horns of that altar. Now, keep in mind... At the altar of incense, that's where you offer up your prayers. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says that the angel comes to the earth, right? And he takes all the prayers of the people. Then he takes incense from that altar, mixes it together, and it goes up to God as a sweet smell. Now, knowing that, this is the only place where he says to do that. Meaning, your ability to speak in God's presence is verified or validated by the blood that they put on the altar of the incense. Now, again, that's just a whole bunch of words. Let me say this. Horns speak of authority. As far as God is concerned, you have the authority to speak in his presence. I love that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> you have the authority, meaning there are some people who don't have the authority to speak in God's presence. You remember in Job, when Job was challenging God and he said, God, why? God, how? God, when? God, where? And he started asking God all these questions. And God said, who are you to speak to me? Where are you? When I set the foundations of the seas, where were you when uh, when I did this? Do you know this? Do you know that all about creation? He, and he goes on saying pretty much who gave you the right to speak in my presence or even challenge me and ask me. But right here, the blood on the horns means God is saying you have the right and the privilege to speak in my presence. So then we come to what is it? Verse eight. He says, you shall take it from he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering. We talked about that last week. The fat that covers the entrails, the fat which is on the entrails. Again, we talked about all that last week. The two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the kidneys he shall remove. Then we come to verse 10. As it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So again, you can go back and get that message. He says, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all his flesh with his head and legs, its entrails and will fall. The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, let me bring this whole <laughs> this whole segment right here to a close. What he says is this. I want you to take all the fat. We talked about that last week. The fat is where all the stress and all the negative enzymes, the, the poison in the peace offering. God said, bring that to me. That's my food. Let me eat. On what is killing you. Then he says in the in the peace offering, he said this, I want you to eat what tastes the best. 
But in the sin offering, he says, again, give me all the fat. I want you to take the entire animal, everything that's left. And I want you to burn the entire animal, its head, its legs, all the meat of the entire animal. I want you to burn all of it. Not any of it is to be left. Take all of it, go outside the camp and burn it outside the camp. Now, if you remember, there was a strong movement of, uh, uh, I always say this is strong. I'll call it a movement. There's a strong movement. They were, uh, they were preaching sin. Let's get sin out the camp, right? You ever heard that? There's sin in the camp. You ever heard that phrase before? Anybody else? Sorry? Because of Achan. That story of there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. God told Joshua there's sin in the camp. So there's a strong move in the church. If there's sin in the camp, God won't move. We need to get sin out of the camp. Now, it stemmed from the story of Achan. But right here, look what the Lord is saying. He said, I want this bull who's carrying your sin to be put outside the camp. Take it out the camp. Now, what do we see? Jesus receives all our sin. We receive all his righteousness. Then he says, I want him to go outside the camp. You know that Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. Now, I didn't want to show you too many verses, but there's a verse in Deuteronomy, if I'm not mistaken. God says this. If there is a man who's ever found slain and no one knows who killed him, then the priests are to go and measure the distance from the man who's been slain to the nearest city. And whichever city is closest to that man, that city is guilty of that man's death. Then the priest must come and they must perform all the things that they are supposed to do to atone for the sins of that city. But when you realize that, again, all of this is Old Testament, all of this is the shadow for us to see the substance. Jesus was the man who was slain. Right. And Jesus was the man who was taken outside the city and he was killed. The closest city to Jesus's death was Jerusalem, meaning they are guilty. But because they rejected him as their Messiah, they pushed the guilt off on someone else. Now, we're not one of those churches that says the Jews are the ones that crucified him. Obviously, that's not us. We love the Jewish people. But suffice to say this, they push the guilt off. That gives us the opportunity to say we are the ones that put him at the cross. If you can own up to the fact that he died for you, then you get the benefits of his death. Are you with me? Now, knowing that right here, he says, I want the bull, the whole bull to be taken outside the camp. I want the sin completely outside the camp. And it speaks of two things. One thing it speaks of is this. There are some people who are outside the camp. When you think about people who are pushed outside, keep in mind, anyone who was unclean could not be in God's presence. Anyone who was mute, anyone who was lame, anyone who was a leper, anyone who, uh, I mean, any unclean disease, you could not be in God's presence. You couldn't be even in the city where God's people were. So outside the camp, keep in mind, God is saying, take the sacrifice outside the camp. It's a picture of Jesus saying, let me leave the house and let me come find you. No matter where you're at, let me come find you. Now, I love that because to me that speaks to our children. Yes, my child is three years old. But let me say this. I was a youth pastor. I understand. <laughs> I was a teenager once. I understand. <laughs> that to me speaks to as a parent. Hey, Jesus will go outside the camp and he'll find them right where they're at, right in the midst of their uncleanness. Right in the midst of where they think, well, I'm I'm around other lepers because we're all sinners. We're all lost. We're all trying to figure out. And then all of a sudden you look up and you see them bringing the sacrifice outside the camp. And right there, right where they burn the sacrifice, that's where you're made clean. I love it. All the more reason to say you don't just find Jesus in the church. You find him outside the camp. One of the things I love about uh, the Gospels, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus was probably one of the most popular rabbis of his day. And yet, none of his followers were found in the temple. 
None of his followers are found in the sanctuary. The majority of his followers were where? Outside the temple. He goes outside of the temple to go find all of us. He goes outside the temple to go find all the lost sheep of Israel. And that's all of us. And everyone said? Amen. Now, knowing this, let's look at this real quick. Again, this is called the sin offering. So God is saying, I want all the sin taken outside the camp. All the sin. I don't want any sin inside the camp. And when you understand what sin is, again, leprosy is a type of sin. But anything that makes you disqualified, any sin pushes you outside the camp. If you've, uh, well, we won't go down the list of things. Again, I don't believe the church is here to define sin. But anything that disqualifies you from God's presence, you have to be outside. And because you're outside, God says, I want the sacrifice to be burnt outside. Meaning, he's taken outside so that you can be brought in. Now look at this in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also, that we shall also live with him. Now let's just take this verse by verse because I love this. One more time, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, once you receive Christ, his death becomes your death. Have you died with Christ? All right. Then if you've died with Christ, guess what? You'll also live with him. Now, he's setting the stage for something powerful. Watch this in verse nine. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Now, again, once Jesus has died, he'll never have to die again. Once you have died, death has no power over you. He will never die again. So what is he saying? If you die with him, then you'll live with him. And if Jesus was raised, guess what? You also are raised, meaning you can never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now I'll put that in gold. I'll show you why in just a second. Likewise, you also, the word likewise can also be in the same manner or in the same exact way. Likewise, or in the same way, you also reckon yourself to be dead to sin, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now watch this. We all know that Jesus died. I know everyone in here. We all know that Jesus died for our sin. We all believe that Jesus died for our sin. But let me ask you this. The question is not did he this morning. The question is how did he die to our sin? Now, there's only two ways you can die to sin. One, all of us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means because there's sin in us, all of us have to die. The Bible says it's been appointed to every man that he should die one time. So all of us have been appointed to die. There's a time for everything. Everyone says, well, if the Lord calls me, I hate when people say that. There's a guy at my job. He says it all the time. He says, well, if it's my time, if the Lord calls me this week, let me say this. Yes, there is an appointed time for every man that he should die. But Jesus comes and he dies and takes our place. So guess what? We have all died with him. There is no appointed time for anyone in Center Church. And everyone in Center Church said, all right. And for those who are not here this morning, I say amen for them as well. There is not an appointed time for us anymore. That appointed time happened at the cross. Now that Jesus has died in verse 11, he says in the same way, in the same way Jesus died, reckon or consider yourself also dead to sin. So if Jesus took all our sin and he died, the wages of our sin was death. Likewise, in the same way, his death was ours. Consider yourself also dead to sin. Now, how did Jesus receive our sin? Huh? He took it on the cross. How did he receive it at the cross, though? Think about it. Did Jesus die to our actions and deeds? Did Jesus die because of actions and deeds? 
Now, think about it this way. We just saw in the sin offering, when the bull is brought forth, right, because of sin, all our sin is transferred to the bull. The bull did nothing wrong. Yet all our sin is transferred to the bull. He receives our sin. Likewise, we receive all his righteousness. In the same way, Jesus did not do anything to die. He just received all the guilt, all the condemnation, all he, listen, he owned up to everything that we did wrong. And there, because of the guilt and the condemnation, now he dies. In the same way, Jesus carried all our guilt, all our condemnation and died for it. Consider yourself dead to the same exact thing. That's why, listen, you don't consider yourself dead to what you've done, good or bad. You consider yourself dead to the guilt and the condemnation of it. That's why Romans chapter 8 opens by saying what? There is therefore now what? How can he say that two chapters from now? Because right here he laid the foundation by saying the same way Jesus died to the guilt and the condemnation, not of what he did, but the guilt of what we did. Likewise, consider yourself dead in the same exact way. And everyone said. Now. Look at verse 10 one more time. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, watch this. Let me skip over to Romans chapter eight, verse one. Now, I'm coming to something in verse 11, but I want to show you the, uh, the train of thought that the Apostle Paul lays out. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I put the second part in italics because it's not actually there in the Greek. If you go back and look it up, this second part is actually not there. So we'll skip that. Verse two, for the law, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now in the sin offering, what part of the animal is burnt? The entire flesh. <laughs> you take out the fat, you put the blood on the altar, but the entire flesh is burnt. So right here, Paul is actually referencing the sin offering which I didn't know this until I started meditating and studying it out. What does he say? Hey, Jesus received all the guilt where? Not in his spirit because his spirit was perfect. Not even in his soul. His soul suffered, but he received it in his flesh. Now, do you see where we're going? Or if you don't, let me, I'm going to bring you to verse 11 because I want you to see this one more time. He condemned sin in his flesh. That means he felt the guilt in his flesh. He felt the condemnation in his flesh. He felt the wages of our sin in his flesh. So then you come to verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, pause for a moment. If he received it in his flesh, where is righteousness fulfilled in us? There we go. You see, too often what we do is we spiritualize everything that the Bible says. It's all spiritual. Jesus says, eat my flesh. We say it means eat the word. It means eat the words that he says. Jesus says he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Well, it just means read your Bible more. And yet that's not what Jesus said in that moment. We over spiritualize God's word way too much. When the apostle Paul says in the same way he died, consider yourself dead. How did Jesus die? Did he die spiritually? No, he died physically. Then consider yourself dead physically to all sin. Where was sin condemned? Where was it? In his flesh. Likewise, where is righteousness fulfilled? In your flesh. Now, knowing this, we come to verse 10. I'm sorry. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
If I had time, I could show you that walking according to the spirit means believing the truth. In Galatians, he says this, believing, in fact, I don't, we don't have time, but in Galatians, the whole book, he sums up obedience and walking according to the spirit means believing the truth of the gospel. And what is the truth? There is therefore now no condemnation to those. Is everyone still with me? Now watch this, verse 10 and 11. This is the, the highlight of this morning. Verse 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Now we just established that. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, again, we just established that. Your body is dead because of sin. All our bodies are dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness if Jesus is in you. Then he comes to verse 11. But if the spirit of Jesus, I'm sorry, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, not to your spirit, not to your soul, but to your what? Mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, what God is saying is the sin offering must die. All the flesh, all the entire animal must die outside the camp. I want you to see the body of Jesus Christ beaten, scarred, dragged. I want you to see the body of Jesus Christ completely all sin condemned in his flesh right there outside the camp so that when you see it, you'll see not all spiritual blessings, spiritual healing. It's all spiritual. So that you'll see that, hey, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is giving life to your mortal body, mortal body, not your spirit, but your mortal body. And I love it because notice how he does it. If the spirit of him, in fact, look at verse 10 one more time because it all works together. If Christ is in you and Christ is. Your body is dead because of sin, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is life. Not he is alive. He is life inside of you because of righteousness. Now watch this. Jesus carried sin in his flesh. You carry his righteousness in your flesh. Even when you don't act like it, you have God's righteousness fulfilled in your flesh. That's why even when you're sick, when you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, what happens is not something that happens spiritual. It's something that happens in your flesh. I love Joseph Prince for uh, exposing this. He said one time he was talking about um, sickness and disease. And there was a study that was done. I can't quote the study because I heard it from him. <laughs> but the study that was done was showing that um, guilt, when a person experiences guilt, that their cells begin to break down. When you feel guilty for something, when you feel condemned for something, your body begins to respond and say, hey, because we feel guilty, let's produce sickness, let's produce disease. Now, the church has known for a long time that bitterness, unforgiveness can make a person uh, become sick. All right. I, again, that's not something new for the church. I learned that growing up in church, that the longer you are bitter about something or you, you hold on to unforgiveness, it can cause you to become sick. But right here, Joseph Prince was saying, hey, look, it's not just that. When you, uh, I'm sorry, my mind's been blank. He talks about, what are we talking about? Guilt. The longer you feel guilty about something, it can actually cause your body to say to itself, hey, we need to execute sickness because we feel guilty. We need to execute the punishment because we feel guilty. Right here, when you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, you're telling your cells, you're telling your body where righteousness is fulfilled. You're telling your mortal body, come back to life. Come back to life. Reverse the sickness inside of me. Come back to life. And the spirit inside of you is life because of righteousness. And I love this last verse. He who raised Christ from the dead will. Not he might. Not most of the time. But he will also. 
Not only does he live in you, but he will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, I love it because you know what? Our spirit man is not sick. Our soul is not sick. It's our flesh that endures it. So he took it in his flesh so that our flesh could be healthy. And everyone said, can you say I am the righteousness of God in Christ? Can you say it again? And amen. I love it. Now, again, the sin offering, the sin offering, the whole point is God wants you to see it in his flesh. I want you to see the whole body burnt, the whole body bruised, the whole body suffered. So your whole body could be healed. Now, let me close with this. Let me, in fact, let me bring you on the down end of this. We got a short Sunday this week. Isaiah 45, look at verse 22. Isaiah says this, look to me. God is speaking. He says, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. Now watch this. The word has gone out of my mouth in what? Righteousness and shall not return. That to me, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, and what shall we say? Surely in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. Now, again, it's not spiritual. No, I have righteousness and I have strength to him. Men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified or made righteous and shall glory. Watch this. Whenever righteousness is mentioned, all of a sudden you see the physical fruit of it. In the Lord, we have righteousness. Therefore, strength comes. In the Lord, we are all justified or made righteous and we shall glory. How do you bring the glory of God into your life? The more you declare, I am the righteousness of God. Again, it's not something spiritual. It's something that when you say it, you see it physically. It's all physical. In the Lord, I have righteousness. Therefore, I have strength. Your physical body is coming alive. Let me show you this in Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, and again, this is a familiar story. We talk about this a lot. So I was kind of nervous about sharing it, but <laughs> here we are. In Numbers 21, keep in mind the children of Israel have left. They're under the Ten Commandments, so the punishment is coming. It says, so while they were crossed, while they're uh, passing through, and this actually happened at the same time of the story of Balaam and Balak, but irrelevant. They get tired of the bread and they complain about the manna that God has given them every morning. So they complain against Moses. And we come to verse 6. It says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Now, notice the verse 6 right here. It says the Lord sent fiery serpents. Now, I want you to notice that just for a second. Fiery serpents. Verse 7, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Now watch this. I love this. Watch this. God said the very thing that's killing them, I want you to put it on a pole. But notice he did not say make a bronze serpent. He said make a what serpent? Fiery serpent. The same thing that's killing them. I want you to put the same thing that's killing them and I want you to put it there. And then he says, look, I want them to do the easiest thing that they could ever do. I don't want them to do anything at all. I want them just to look. I got this uh, comic book Bible. I don't know if you've been to Lifeway yet. Lifeway is closing. In case you didn't know that, or they're already closed. I think Thursday was the last day. So I don't know if they're still open, but they said if they're still open, everything would be a dollar. So have at it. But anyways, me and Christina went up last week and um, I got this comic book Bible 
And uh, it's really cool because I'm a comic book fan. And anyways, when it came to this story, I got the judges. Or was it? I don't remember. I got the, the wilderness part. And this story is actually in it. And I was just kind of flipping through noticing. And when I saw this story, the, the crazy thing was in my mind, I can see, okay, Moses puts a pole up and he says, hey, everyone look and everyone who looks lives. But notice he didn't say that everyone did look. It says everyone who would look lived. And in that comic book, they have, uh, they have a, you know, they have a picture of someone, a little boy says, come look, look at the pole. Everyone who's looking is living. But then they have on the other side of the scale, someone who didn't look, someone who's, this guy, he's laying on the ground and he's got massive red spots on his arm and he's got this depressed look on his face. And he says to the boy, he says, there's no point in looking. Why should I look? Blah, blah, blah. He gives all these reasons. And all of a sudden it made the story come to life for me. Because notice again, it does not say everyone looked, so everyone lived. It says everyone who would look, they would live. Everyone who will look, will live. But not everyone looks. And all of a sudden it made it so much more real for me. How many people are in church on Sunday morning, but they're not looking at Jesus? How many people are in church or not even in church on, from Monday to Saturday? They don't look at Jesus. They look at everyone else around them. They look at all the problems that they're looking at faced with. They look at all the things that aren't going right in their life. But all they have to do is look at Jesus. I mean, God is saying, I want to make it so easy for you. I'm trying to make it so simple. You don't even have to do the hard part. Let somebody else do the hard part for you. <laughs> in fact, Jesus did the hardest part. Then he gives pastors and preachers. He says, I'm going to give you a, a hard part, but it's going to be less than his part. <laughs> we through God's word and share it with God's people. Show Jesus. But all of us, myself, Monday to Saturday, it's so easy. All we have to do is look at Jesus. Because everyone who looks, they live. Now notice, what is it that they have to look at? Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Bronze speaks of judgment, right? God says, I want you to see him judged. I want you to see him judged with what's killing you. The thing that's killing you, I want you to see it judged in my son. Where? Physically. So that the healing will manifest physically. And everyone said, amen. Now, let me close with this. Where are we at? In fact, do you have your Bible? Can you do this? Can you do something for me? Turn to Luke chapter 7 real quick. Luke chapter 7. And I'll show you this in Luke 15 and we'll close. Turn to Luke chapter 7. After we came back from Israel... Uh, and I've told you this before, I was opening my Bible and everywhere I would open, all of a sudden you start seeing the word Galilee everywhere. Tiberius, Galilee. And you're like, wait a second. That's where, the, okay, the majority of Jesus' ministry happened where we were. <laughs> Galilee, Galilee. Because Galilee really is just one big body of water. And everywhere Jesus would go, Capernaum, Galilee, I mean, everywhere, all happened right here off the Sea of Galilee. So we're actually going to look at a story right there. So when you go, you'll know. <laughs> Appreciate it a little more. But I didn't know that this story about the widow of Nain happened very close. Had I known when I was there, I would have asked which direction. Anyways, look at this in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. I just want to show you this. It says, now it happened the day after that, that Jesus went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Now, I just want you to see this picture. I'll show you Luke 15 and we'll close with this. Jesus is on his way into the city of Nain, and he's very popular. He's a celebrity at this point. So there is a large crowd of people following him. 
Now keep in mind, Jesus is life personified. Life is walking into the city of Nain. At the same time he's walking in, a woman is walking out with a procession. And she's carrying, she's not carrying, but the people behind her are carrying her dead son. She's a widow. This is her only son. Jesus coming with a crowd, he's life. He's about to encounter a woman who's bringing death outside of the city. There's a large crowd with her. Now, I love it because if you understand, even when we were there in, 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 in Jerusalem, when we went to the city, there was a, uh, I think it was a birthday, but it might have been a bar mitzvah, bars for boys, bar, bar, I don't know, either one, bar for boys. Yeah, bar mitzvah. So it was a it was a bar mitzvah for a boy. I think he was coming of age and they were singing and dancing. Some of us took our phones out, took a video of it. But the the idea or the custom is that if you see someone singing and dancing, you sing and dance with them. When they come by, you sing and dance and you follow them. Whenever there's a funeral procession, if you're in the street, guess what? You're not going where you thought you were going. You get to follow them out because if one of us is hurt, all of us are hurt. It builds community. If somebody is celebrating, then we all celebrate. But if one if somebody has died and I'm weeping and I'm mourning, all of us get to weep and mourn together. So again, Jesus is about to encounter a woman with a dead son. Now, custom permits that Jesus should stop what he's doing. Everyone who's following him should follow this woman as well. But Jesus sees this woman and we pick up where, where were we? Verse 12. It says, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now, his first words to people always trigger me. I love it. He sees the woman. He has compassion on her. And what does he say? Don't weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Let me point out something. Notice that the boy who was dead was young. Every detail in the Bible is here for a reason. He was young. Do you know that in the offering, what we just saw, the sin offering? He said that the priest, if it's him or if it's just a regular person, they're to bring a young bull. Why young? Because whatever you see in Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit will turn you into. Don't see Jesus as an old man. Don't even see Jesus as a man. See him young. In this story, the Bible points out not just her son, but it was a young son. Jesus takes this young son and brings him back to life. When he dies outside, he gives life to a young man. He dies young. So that all of us, when we see Jesus, we will stay young. And everyone said, age is just a number. <laughs> Amen. So all that said to say this, I love this because you know what happens? Jesus was not in the city yet. Jesus was not in the city. He's on his way into the city, but he's outside the city. You know why that's so important? Where does the sacrifice die? Outside. If you're carrying death outside with you, they'll find you right where you're at. <laughs> now, praise God, you don't carry death out of here. You carry life out of Center Church. But wherever you find yourself, that's where he is. Now, let me close with this. In Luke 15, in Luke 15, verse 20, Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son. And he talks about how the prodigal son has left his home. He's lost all his money. He's wasted all his money. He's starting to feed pigs. It says, and then he... All of a sudden, he comes to himself and he realizes even my father's servants have food. So he decides, I'll go home and I'll tell my father, wait, father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And we shared that a while back when we talked about our uh, true repentance series. Literally, what he was saying was send me away to learn a craft so I can come back and pay you back. So it's not even him saying, let me let me appeal to my father for mercy. What he's saying is give me a chance to pay you back. Let me work it off. Let me justify my mistake in some way. 
So anyways, in Luke 15, it says, verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, and we shared this in that series, but I want to point it out again. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. Now this phrase, when he was still a great way off, is the same phrase used by Jesus when he said he went to a far away country. Literally, the implication is while he was still in the far away country, the moment the son turned, the father saw him and had compassion on him. Now, faraway country kind of implies he's so far he wouldn't be able to see him. The idea is that he saw him coming over a hill. But if you understand, even in the Aramaic, the implication is the moment he turned in that faraway country, the father saw it and the father had compassion and the father ran to meet him. Now, watch this. We talked about this in, the, in that series, but watch this. The father saw him and had compassion. And the first thing he did was he ran. His first action is to defend the son. I love it. His first action is to defend him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says what? There is now therefore no condemnation. His first action was to defend him. So he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What are the father's first words? But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Now, we talked about all this in that series again, but I want you to look at, look at the first words of the father. I'm telling you, the first words are always so important. His first action was to defend him. Let me run to him. And his first words, let me put peace into his heart. He said, bring out the best robe, meaning everyone else, when they look at you, they have to see me. Not even bring out a good robe. Bring out the best robe. And put it on him who probably still smells like pigs, <laughs> probably still smells like the abomination he never should have came near, probably still smells like sin and probably still looks like sin, but he says, I don't care. Bring out the best robe. It's not just that he saves you. It's how he saves you. Bring out the best and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Ring. Now, when you go to our neighbors, when you go to the marketplace, when they're angry at you because you brought dishonor on our village and our community, when they see the ring, they know. You've been justified. And whatever you ask for, you're on my tab. <laughs> you're buying it out of my bank account. He says, put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Meaning, don't worry about going anywhere. Don't worry about doing anything. I'll take care of the hard part. When you come into my presence, I want you to wear good sandals. I want you to sit down in my presence. Let me pay for it. Let me make you look like me again. I love it. And what's the son have to do? All he had to do was... Turn and say, I want to go back home. I love it. And the father didn't stay and wait for him to come into the village. He went outside the village to go find him. Let me close with this in verse 23, 24. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead. Now I'll close with this. Verse 23, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. When we saw the sin offering, you bring the calf and you kill it. Now watch what he says. And I never saw this before until I was meditating on this. For my son was dead and is alive again. Now I put the two in gold because the two are actually connected. He says, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Why? Because my son was dead. But now that he's not dead anymore, kill the calf in his place. Do you see it? <laughs> the sin offering, kill the calf because you were dead. But now that you were dead, you're no longer dead anymore. Likewise, in Romans chapter 8, because of Christ, we were all dead. Because of the calf, the son was dead. But now that Jesus is alive and can never die again, likewise, 
none of us can ever die again. There's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no age, there's nothing that can cause us to die again. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I love it. We have one more offering to go through. This Sunday felt a little short, but I apologize. But suffice to say this, when you see the sin offering, God wants you to realize it was in the flesh. It was in the flesh. Therefore, don't let anything in your flesh bother you. When you are sick, don't let guilt bother you. In fact, I was going to say this earlier, but I'll just say it now. When it comes to guilt, to hold on to any guilt is to say, God, you are wrong. You declared me righteous, but you were wrong. I am guilty. To hold on to condemnation is to say you were wrong. Because again, if Jesus carried it and died to it and declared you righteous, then let's agree with him. Let righteousness be fulfilled in our flesh. And everyone said, say this, say I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the righteousness of God is being fulfilled in my flesh. Right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Stephen? Sure? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, your truth. And Father, we thank you that Jesus suffered physically so that this morning we could enjoy physical health, physical wholeness, physical wealth, physical prosperity, physical blessings. So Father, again, physical peace. I thank you, Lord, that there is no sickness, there is no disease for anyone in our church that we should have to suffer for from this day moving forward, even for those who are not here this morning. Father, I thank you again as the sin sacrifice, sin offering, the whole body, the whole flesh is burnt. This morning, we thank you that we see Jesus at the cross burnt. We see Jesus at the cross carrying our sin in his flesh, sin being condemned in his physical body so that your righteousness would be fulfilled in our physical body. So, Father, I thank you right now over our church that everyone, everyone, even our children, everyone we represent in our families, everyone is healthy, everyone is whole, everyone is fruitful. Father, I thank you that there are none barren among us. I thank you, Father, that there are none sick among us. I thank you, Lord, again, that there is none that are poor among us. I thank you, Father, this morning that we are alive and we are living because of you. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that because you live in us, even right now, you are giving life to our mortal bodies. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're causing everyone to return back to the days of our youthfulness. And I thank you, Father, Jesus died young so that we could be young, live young, and enjoy your youthfulness. So we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Can you stand to your feet, lift your hand? May the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you and your family. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord keep you in all that he's committed into your hands. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. In Jesus name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you. I love you. Can you hug someone on your way out? Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.